Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Out of the Box MTG, where we think and play out of the box. I am one of your hosts, Quentin, back from a little bit of a hiatus. It's been a busy, busy couple of weeks for me, but I'm back here again, and I'm with a small group. It's just Logan and I again tonight in the cast. Logan, how are you? Old times, man. It's been a minute since it's been the two of us. <laughs> I know. I know. You've been the, the through line here on the past couple of episodes. You've been holding us down strong. I've, um, I'm in school at the right now. I'm, I'm in an MBA program. And so I've just been a little bit tied up with that, doing some travels related to that. And so not been able to jump on as much, but have loved listening to the past couple episodes, left it in great hands with you and Jake. And there's been some <laughs> awesome stuff, but we got a great episode tonight that we're we're really excited about. Before we jump in, as always, just want to shout out the Substack where you can go and find the the podcast here is hosted on Substack. You can find our written content over there. It's just a great place to go to catch anything magic related. You can also catch us on Twitter. We're over there out of the box MTG. We're pretty active, we're pretty regular, so please come on over, give us a follow, um interact with us. We'd love to chat anytime. Um, but today, as we get into the, the, the main topic we're going to be talking about today is restrictions, deck restrictions, how they kind of breathe life or breathe creativity into the brew process, all these things. But before that, we always like to start off with a little bit of a game. Oh, yeah. And this week, this week we have an interesting one. So Logan and I are diehard star wars fans like through, through and through. through yeah wow, that was like the echo there <laughs> i just distinctly remember childhood like after star wars episode one came out there was like that's there we would uh we had these little like flashlight things that were these little like yellow slug bug style oh, yeah. flashlight things and we use them like they did in episode one they like communicate with like like flashing their lights or something we we would do that like all around the house and just Ever since we were kids, Star Wars has yep. been our life. The amount of times we, uh, watching episode two, would just skip to the final fight scene of oh yeah, all of them in the arena and then Mace Windu coming. I mean, we could quote those sections probably still. <laughs> and I, unapologetic prequel lovers here, I know oh, yeah. that's not the most popular opinion. Prequels are S tier. They're so good. We, we love them. But ahsoka the new ahsoka show just wrapped up and we thought it would be fun to look at spoilers no spoilers zero spoilers here um but we thought it'd be interesting to look at three characters from the show and identify what commander they would build if they were to build a commander deck and so we're going to talk through we're going to start with ahsoka with low and logan i haven't shared these with each other we haven't said what commander so there's gonna be a little bit back and forth so Logan, Ahsoka, who do you think she would build if she were to build a commander deck? Yeah, and I and I will say, like, I guess I said no spoilers, but we are going to talk a little bit about the show because I feel like like their characters evolving in the show has to do with, like, my picks. Yeah. So I guess slight spoilers. So if you haven't watched the show and you're wanting to, maybe just skip ahead for a minute really quick. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to give anything major away, but no. there will be some, some plot point. I, I guess some plot yes, point discussion. Exactly. So for Ahsoka, I immediately thought of a couple colors. I did think about blue and white. Obviously, Ahsoka being Ahsoka the white. I think white has to be in there. I think 
the blue. She's such a moral character that yes. having and such a, like a community, like a, a people based character, having yes. not having white would be incorrect, I think. Right. And I think the blue with the white brings kind of like that order, like the Jedi order side of things. But obviously she turns away from that a little bit. And so mm-hmm. to me, the green feels kind of contrary to that, like the nature versus community kind of side of things. So they they feel a little bit different. So Bant was the color for me. And the commander that she would build would be Shauna Purifying Blade. Mm, um, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, Purifying Blade with her lightsaber and everything feels very good. You know, just trying to, she, she's purifying, you know, through what she does with her lightsabers to a certain extent. Right? So read Shauna for us. Yeah. So Shauna is a Bant uh, human warrior. She's a 3-3 with lifelink. That says at the beginning of your end step, you may pay X. If you do draw X cards, X can't be greater than the amount of life you gained this turn. So a little bit of life gain resulting yeah. in card draw, getting a little bit of that value. But just like, I, I think this one was more from like a Vorthos than like just a strictly what the card does. But sure, wise, the art, the name, the colors, it all just felt like that. To me, that was like, that feels like Ahsoka. Yeah, that... That feels that feels on brand. I feel like life gain is a strategy that Ahsoka would embody, considering her background as well. Like she has, she does have that natural connection. I remember in the Tales of the Jedi when they look at Ahsoka's origin, she yes. has a lot of this like natural life energy. So I feel like life gain does kind of fit into her realm as well. I, I think that is a very strong pick. Yeah. I did think about Rigo Streetwise Mentor just for like, mm. for like, for like mentoring, like, uh, you know, Kane and Jarrus and Ezra and Sabine. Well, we, we, that's where I think we might be on similar wavelengths. So okay. that's where my head went. Okay. So also in white, as we said, kind of like a given. I feel like yeah. her character is so morally guided. Yeah. Not that white is necessarily the color of morality, but it's the color of selflessness in a lot mm-hmm. of senses. And so, and then blue as well because of that order. But I think one of the defining characteristics of Ahsoka is how much she has spent time building and lifting others that's what she does through the whole show even with anakin even anakin being her master she still spent a lot of time lifting and cultivating anakin as a person so the flavor here isn't perfect but the text box here is i feel like so it's like the opposite of how you approach yeah 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 yeah. denry clin editor-in-chief okay so when denry enters the battlefield it enters with your choice of a plus one plus one first strike or vigilance counter okay and then whenever a non-token creature you control enters the battlefield whatever counters denry has on it they also get those counters okay so i see this very much as the 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 attributes that ahsoka embodies she really gives those out to everybody she really spends a lot of time cultivating that in other people and trying to build this almost new Jedi order in a way that it wasn't built for her. And I just feel like Denry really embodies this idea of building this collective with the ideals that you really espouse. Yeah. I really like that Clinton. I think that that is really a good case for her of just like what she does pass on, even for those who came before her, like you mentioned with Anakin. I think that's really good. Um, 
So the I the do th- think the addition of Green though is really strong. Yeah. And if we were to identify her on the color pie, I think she might land in that band space because of her opposition to kind of like the rigid order that right. was the Jedi. Exactly. So yeah, you still get the order. Like it's still definitely a part of her, but she's also she also decided to reject it and everything. So yeah. Um. Okay. So Quentin, the next character we wanted to to look at was if Balin Skull, uh, Skull, right? Yep. Um, if Balin were to build a commander deck, who did you pick as what he would build? Okay, so this one, this one is interesting. And I, my initial reaction was to put Balin in Rakdos. I also had the same initial response. But then I stopped and thought about Balin as a character. And we don't know a lot about him, to be fair. So R&P, working... Ray Stevenson, by the way. Phenomenal yeah, job. Did an incredible job. Truly one of the highlights of that show. Yes. Um, the difficult the, the thing that I was trying to, to balance was he is a former Jedi turned Sith, who's not actually fully a Sith. He's right. not he he's he in fact it feels like he had some some opposition to kind of the Sith at large um, in the forms that they took with, you know, Darth Vader, the emperor. Like, I don't think he aligned with them necessarily. So my gut said Rakdos, but then my brain moved me over to Golgari. This, this color oh. pairing that is about self ambition, but also some of the life and natural order things. I feel like Balin is, he's walking this line between, self ambition and maybe some higher some some higher call because okay. that's kind of where his story arc took him is we don't know exactly but it feels like he's chasing some some power out there but maybe something that's beyond him and he's it, it might be some level of like self sacrifice to a certain extent i don't know exactly um but the the one i picked then was savra queen of the golgari Mm, okay and savra says whenever you sacrifice a black creature you can pay two life if you do each other player sacrifices a creature and whenever you sacrifice a green creature you may gain two life so i feel like this really embodies this like he is willing to go to the extents to like i mean he essentially sacrificed his padawan i don't know what their relationship is remember but he separated himself from her in order like in pursuit of this power so he's willing to give up people and relationships for power but also savra gives you this this kind of balance of seeking power and and strength and and putting other people kind of out of your path while also this life force that i feel like some of this light side energy that he's still holding on to in this golgari tension that he has that's that's where i i pegged him on the color pie but also more like mechanically on a on a card that I think would resonate with his um his perspectives. Yeah, I like that. Um I think for myself I also started with Rakdos. I I think I went a little more simple in that I cuz I agree that like, he's not like full Rakdos and just like evil, but he's definitely like dark, but he he still has like that respect for the order. Like he has that respect for Ahsoka and mm-hmm. All of that. So I felt like I just wanted to add white to it. So I went more yeah. um, adding some of that order that like part of him that isn't full, just like 
fully evil, but like at the same time, like you know, he, at every opportunity he does still fight Ahsoka is like, hey, I need to defeat you in order to get what I want, right? Right. And very, you know, what he did to, you know, to 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 a certain extent, like to Sabine, to Shin, to um uh Morgan Elsbeth, I felt that he was very, very like manipulating. And so he was willing to manipulate all of them for his ultimate gain. Exactly. Yeah. So I chose in Mardu Malik Grim Manipulator. So Malik is the in magic version of the Walking Dead of ne- Negan. Negan the cold blooded. Yeah. Yeah. So Malik says he's a four three for five that says when he enters the battlefield, you and target opponent each secretly choose a creature that player controls. Then those choices are revealed, and that player sacrifices those creatures. Whenever an opponent sacrifices a creature, you create a treasure token. So this whole idea of like, mm. hey, I'm gonna use you, and like, I'm, but it's you gonna... don't know that I'm using you though. Exactly. That, that's the thing that I think is really interesting about that is yes. none of those people like Morgan Elsbeth. I just assumed that he was a mercenary that was on her side, right? But he but was using her for way bigger aims, he right? Was using her to get to this place. To, to fulfill his grand plan and designs that he has, whatever that Which we, we still don't really know what that is. Yes, exactly. Um, but because of that, he was like, and, and like, and he manipulated Sabine into submitting and not yeah. destroying the map, right? At every chance, he manipulated the people around him to get what he wants. And I think that the thing that he wants is that treasure token. So when they sacrifice their creature, you're yeah. benefiting off of their sacrifice, which I love that flavor. I love, yeah. I, I think we both kind of keyed in on this like sacrifice side of him where he was willing to give up those around him for what he's trying to get. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a really good one. I'm a big fan of that pick. Yeah. So the last character that we had talked about, this is a character we know, but has come back into the limelight through the show is Grand Admiral Thrawn, an incredible character in the yes. world of Star Wars. So from your perspective, Logan, who Thrawn jump and sit down to a commander table, terrifying, by yeah. the way, the most masterful tactician in the world of Star Wars sitting across from you at a uh, at a commander table. Who is he playing? Yeah, I will say I don't think he plays this card for the art, which I'll get there in a second. <laughs> I feel like what the card does, its name, its colors all feel very on point to me. So like you said. Grand Admiral Thrawn is this elite, you know, tactician. He knows exactly very, to me, he needed to be in blue for counter control because that's what he does. And to me, I think I I debated a couple other colors. I I definitely lean to black just for like the darkness in him and his willingness to, you know, same kind of idea, right? To sacrifice things to get what he wants. But he, he wants to use people. And so he wants to control people and then use them in the way that he thinks is best. Right. When Shin and Balin are there, he sends them to go get rid of, you know, to go after Sabine and everything like that. So my pick is a Layla cunning conqueror. You've got to be kidding me. Is that who you chose? That's the one that I chose. It is perfect. It is is the perfect embodiment of him. Yeah. That, I have some, I'll, I'll throw out my secondary here in a minute, um, yeah. but I, I want to hear you talk through this more. 
Yeah. So Alayla couldn't conquer. She was new in the Wilds of Eldraine commander decks. So she's four mana for a fairy warlock, two, four flyer. Uh, and she says, whenever you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn, create a one, one fairy rogue creature token with flying. Then whenever one or more fairies you control deal combat damage to a player, goad target creature that player controls. So he's, he's affecting the board. He's counter, he's controlling, he's removing things wherever he needs to. And along the way, he's building his army, and then he's using that army to then, you know, goading other creatures, right? Sending them say, okay, you're not going to come at me. You're going to go over there, and you two are going to attack each other. So just at any point, he's manipulating, puppet mastering the board to, to do exactly what he wants. That is that is so funny because I, <laughs> I, 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 when you were describing, like, saying some of the things about, like, oh, yeah, Thrawn is this and that, I was like, he's going to pick the same one I did. Like I, this is exactly where my head was at um, because it's true. I, I think, I, I think the, the piece of it that was especially relevant was I think that goad really mm-hmm. to me felt on like on flavor because he really is using the idea of goading is like utilizing other people's tools against those around you. And exactly. that's drawn to an absolute T. Yes. The, the other one that was my backup um, the one that I went to because blue is Thrawn. I, yeah. I agree that black is probably both in, where he uh, both in like style and color. <laughs> Not just because he <laughs> is actually blue, but his he's just he is such an intellectual character and I think embodies blue so well. Yeah. The one that I had looked at initially was Memnark. Mm. Memnark is the seven mana artifact creature. You can pay one blue blue to turn a permanent into an artifact and you can pay three and a blue to gain control of an artifact. So I think this kind of the, that was was my initial take was Thrawn has this really good ability of convincing other people to be on, like to be with him. And he has a really good job of manipulating. So he slowly like turns others into artifacts and like takes control of them and uses them for his gain. I like that was kind of like the backup, but I, I think Alayla is, is, the the perfect one and i i think that's so funny that we are on the exact same wavelength there yeah and like i said before like we definitely we did not like we didn't talk about it before we did not collaborate on this that was yeah. just purely our instinct um i did think to look into grixis a little bit um just for some of you know his red I don't, in, but you know but, <laughs> but red is really dominated by impulse right i don't think yeah. anything about thrawn is impulse or chaos right or chaos like he he does not act out of any kind of impulse it is so so planned um in fact the only time that i feel like when he did act out of a little bit of impulse was when he at the end of rebels with his interaction with ezra like that was like he was put on the ropes a little bit and had to he he was put off step and the moment he acted out of impulse was what got him in his current in the situation that he was yeah, I I'm 100% with you. Man, that was that's fun. I I really enjoy that. Um we'll have to find some other like shows or characters or something to do that with as well cuz that yeah, I I really like that thought experiment. Yeah, it's it's fun to not just identify them and map them kind of on color pie, but also more down mechanically. So this is almost like to me it's almost if they were to do a, a Star Wars skin of these characters, what commander would they skin over? Like, yeah. it's kind of what it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But moving us into the main topic today, we want to talk about restrictions and how restrictions breed creativity. There's this commander at its core is all about color restriction. That was the initial design of the format was this idea that you play a commander and you can only play within its color identity. And that color identity should be enough to restrict you to push you in interesting in interesting ways. The adage we hear all the time is that restriction breeds creativity. Mm-hmm. That was the design behind this format at large. But in the modern era of magic, there's a there's more bleeding of the color pie in mechanics than there might have been in the past. And so there's this kind of feeling of you know, even if you're playing a two color deck, you have access to a lot of mechanics and you might not have that same level of restriction just on colors alone. And probably even more appropriately, the format at large tends to not play less colors. It tends just to play more colors that the more colors you play kind of the more popular commanders tend to get. Um, and so what we want to talk about today is, how restrictions even beyond just the restriction of playing a one or two color deck what it can do to your deck building process your gameplay all these different things like how additional restrictions can make this game more fun and how it can breathe some life into your commander experience at large yeah and I think that a lot of that, and it's interesting because like when Commander was first like born and everything back in like 2011, it definitely felt like it was this idea of, it was almost this idea of like being free of restrictions, right? Because, you know, competitive formats, you do kind of have to play at a certain, not only power level, but like oftentimes mana cost. Like there, there are so many things that felt like you couldn't play in a more competitive format that commander was supposed to like almost free you a little bit, but it was interesting in that this was like the really like the main format where you actually were restricted by by strictly by color. And I think over the last, you know, now decade um, as commander has just gotten more and more popular with more and more cards, we've seen those colors not really break down, but just expand a little bit to do a little bit more, which I don't think it's necessarily like a bad thing. You know, like a, a color pie is like a different conversation, like color pie breaks or restrict, you know, what each color does. But I do find it really interesting in, you know, in that more colors are able to do more things. So I, the idea of that restriction doesn't feel as like hampering, right? I mean, now there's like multiple yeah. ways in black to, to take care of enchantments and blue can exile creatures and artifacts, right? Like, so there are some of those, color breaks a little bit now um but i you know but we have both found that by finding ways to restrict your deck either with color or maybe outside of color Mm -hmm. what that does not only to how you build and brood your deck but what that does like your gameplay and how that affects the table and everything is a really really positive uh like change and way to to play and do the game yeah absolutely so we want to start off First, by talking through some of the benefits that we have seen in our own experience around use, utilizing restrictions on a more kind of regimented basis, and then talk through some of these stipulations, these 
restrictions that we've built. Yeah. So the first thing that we find when brewing under heavy restriction is during that brew process, you tend to use a lot less staples and it pushes you to use more unique cards in deck construction to for we're going to use some examples kind of regularly throughout this episode Mm -hmm. because we like i said we each have done this the one that i've built and absolutely love is i have a karavek the merciless deck so this is the seven mana rakdos creature that says whenever an opponent casts a spell Caravec the Merciless deals damage equal to that spell's mana value to any target. And I have always been a fan of this card, but the old art did not resonate for me. So I just never built it. But then last year when they released the starter commander decks, Mm -hmm. they had slipped in there in the Rakdos deck, new art for Caravec. And I, instantly fell in love when i found it and i was trying to find a way to build them but just never could i never felt like i could find a way that felt good and creative and i had brewed a bunch of different routes but then i read his flavor text and it says rats and jackals feast in his swath but even they will not walk with him and it's this idea that nothing nobody is willing to walk alongside this person. And so then it got it sparked this idea of what if I build a deck with no creatures? There's no other creatures in the deck besides Caravec. And so that's that's what I did. I built it and it's the deck is awesome. It's it's a little brutal to play against, I'm sure. Like he that his ability is is really really powerful, but in that vein of so this I, I wanted to first outline that so you guys so you could all understand yeah. kind of the the premise of what we're going from but in the vein of of not playing staples one of the things that i had to do in caravec was because i have no creatures i need to find ways to have some way to block and so yeah. i ended up most of my mana rocks in the deck are mana rocks that can turn into creatures mm-hmm. so i have stuff like guardian idol which i can pay two to make it become a two two fountain of icker i can pay three to make it a three three yep rakdos key rune i can pay two to make it a three one um i have a lot of the man lands that i can animate and turn into uh it turn into creatures but these are all these are all very random cards right that if i was building a traditional caravec deck I guarantee I would not be playing any of these mana rocks that I'm playing because they're a little bit inefficient. They're not the greatest of the mana rocks, but in this deck specifically, they carry so much weight for me in being that emergency tool. When I need a blocker, I can animate them and create a blocker, right? So it, it has by forcing myself into this box of no creatures I've stepped away from a lot of the staples because frankly, there's a lot of really powerful creatures that Caravac would love to have, Yeah, but they are like what, even like if you just look at burn as an archetype, they are just absolute must adds in a yeah, burn deck like a core brand or, or soul film, soul, soul fin, soul fin the, yep. the new, n- new ish may something. 
Yeah, one of those, the Dominus from Phyrexia. Yeah. Um, I don't have any of those, right? And so it it's allowed me to have to play less staples and have some more uniqueness in what I actually have put together here. Yeah, it, it, it makes you get outside of your comfort zone when you're brewing and when you're building of saying, hey, normally, you know, okay, I have this, I, you know, I have this deck idea. Okay, I'm in red, black. Okay, so I know I'm going to play a, B, C, D, E, F, right? Like, okay, I need, I need ramp. Okay. The best ways to ramp in these colors is by slap doing a dock side in there, right? Slap a dock side, slap a storm kiln artist, slap a arcane signet, you know, uh, maybe a skyclave relic, right? But instead you've said, okay, I need mana rocks that can still do their thing. Cause Caravet costs seven mana. So I still need to ramp, but, to ramp. but they also serve the purpose of being able to block because i don't play any creatures and that's what i that's what i love about like that is one of my favorite things about finding a deck restriction is not playing just the best staple cards um so to give you my example so i have a jedit ojanin mercenary deck he is a bant legendary creature uh like legend tribal commander this is whenever he or another legendary creature enters the battlefield, you can pay a green mana and make a 2-2 cat with forest walk. So what the deck wants to be doing is playing legendary creatures to then trigger his ability and then be making tokens and then pumping those tokens to try to kill. And so that's the idea of the deck. But I have given myself the restriction of only playing legendary creatures. So, you know, rather than playing you know, just some typically very good, strong Esper Sentinels or things like that. Instead, it's... Or in, especially in a deck like this, you're casting a lot of creatures, things like your your Beast Whispers of the world right. that are just, you know, casting creatures, drawing cards, like yep. running yourself through cards. I think that's a really good example of one that would be a slam dunk in the deck, but right. you don't play. Yeah, absolutely. There's another one. There's like... Uh, one of the most played cards in, in like on EDH rec with it is feline sovereign, which pumps your cats and lets your cats mm. um, destroy artifacts or enchantments when they connect, which is like that, that card is just very good in the deck, but I won't play it because it's not a legendary creature. And so instead I have to find legends that can do the things I need the deck to do. So like yeah. I've, I've looked for like, um, you know, options for like ramp instead of, now, I do still have a couple like ramp spells like instants or sorceries, but I've tried to find ways to ramp with creatures. So I play things like Yasharn, um, which is the Selesnia boar that, that searches out a forest and a plains and puts them in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I play. I love, ugh, I love that pick. The new um, Gwenna. I'm trying to remember her, like the rest of her. Gwenna, Eyes, Eyes of Gaia. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like a three mana creature that taps for two mana of any colors but you can only spend it to cast creatures so it's this idea of like okay let me find these more unique ways to ramp to draw cards for removal like i don't play um you know too much removal that isn't on my creature so i play things like um mangara of corridor right yep. that is yep. not the best removal you know to exile himself and something else at sorceries you know not with haste but i find ways to to play the stuff that isn't as played um and to be honest the more that i've played the deck the more i want to lean into the theme more like i am like thinking about removing a lot of the you know the my instance 
sorceries, artifacts, and enchantments, I'm thinking about trying to cut that down and seeing what the deck could look like if I strictly only played legendary things, um, which is like really unique and that'd be a very difficult restriction, but like it would make it so enjoyable to like find and like look for like, okay, what are some legendary artifacts? Is there, are there any of them that can help me with my game plan? Right. Losing a losing relic of legends would be quite the loss in that. It would be brutal. (laughs) But it really is. It it does make this more fun, and it forces you to grab interesting interesting cards. One one that I wanted to shout out in Karavek. So black, really good at bringing things back from the graveyard, right? Yeah. You would think that, but it's only good at bringing creatures back. Yeah. When I was trying to look through, like, okay, I need some way to recur some stuff in Karavek. Nothing in Karavek can just like in black really can just bring anything back. But I found this card that is so wacky, but I love it. It's called Shrouded Lore. It's a one black sorcery. Okay. And it says target opponent chooses a card in your graveyard. You may pay black. If you do, repeat this process, except that opponent can't choose a card already chosen for Shrouded Lore. Then put the last chosen card into your hand. So it is this... like. It is an incredible tool to politic with people at the table. If it's like, hey, I have this card in my graveyard and I need it back, you can get it back for one mana. Like that's incredibly efficient. But if you have a bunch of opponents and they don't want to give you your stuff, just pay black a couple of times and you can get it back, right? Like, but it it forced me to grab this because if I was building a deck and it had a bunch of creatures in it, I'm just gonna grab a creature recursion because it's yeah. like, all right, that's that's good enough. Like but this one is is so generic and give me anything. It can give me spells. It can give me my enchantments back, whatever it is. So it just it just makes you grab wacky and fun cards and yeah. makes while you're brewing, it gets you excited because you're like, this card is bad. Yep. <laughs> I'm gonna play it because I need to play it. Yeah, which that's not everybody's speed. It's I True. love that. Like I True. love finding things that are like, okay, this really doesn't belong in a lot of other decks but it's like awesome in this one. Like that's my sweet spot. Like, I love looking for that. Um, and so finding ways to like, you know, decrease staples and find more uniqueness in deck building, I think is really important. Um, but yeah, Quinton, what else, what else does, does having like a deck restriction help accomplish? What else, what other, what else does it do for like the environment and, you know, in where you're, in where you're playing? Yeah. I think that the next thing that we had identified was it really makes games more diverse yeah because when you are in an environment where staples dominate a game the board state can look a little similar at times because if you're playing the same color as somebody there's probably if a good amount of opportunity for overlap between the two of you or similarities between what you're doing and when you put yourself in this box it's pretty safe to say that you're not going to see other cards like what you're doing at the table. So it just it just helps to create more diverse games. And on the opposite of that, it also, maybe not quite the opposite of that, but it also can make you a better player because it forces you to think about the game in a different way. It forces you to sequence your spells differently. One of the common restrictions that we see out there is with companions companions Mm -hmm. are kind of this built-in restriction that if you want to use it you have to do something and two of the most popular 
companions are Gairuda and Obosh, yep. which forced you to play either either even or odd only mana values of spells. And when you have that, it forces you to sequence and think about your deck in a different way because you can't just play a one drop and then a two drop and then a three drop or whatever, right? Yeah. You have to think about it differently. So I just, I think putting yourself in these boxes creates games that are more unique, more diverse and helps you as a player think about the game a little bit differently, sequence it a little bit differently, which also then kind of feeds back into this diverse gameplay because things are happening at different rates than they might happen in a normal game. And yeah. it keeps things really interesting. Yeah. And I think not only do they make them the, the games more diverse, I also find they make them very memorable. Like when I like look back and think about, you know, like, like your, for example, like your Caravet Creatureless deck, like that is something that like, you know, obviously we're in the same play groups. Like I see it often and things like that, but going to like you know if you go to like magic con or if you go to like your local game store like it not only makes like the game you're playing diverse but like people will like remember like oh dude i remember like this one guy like this one guy it was like a random saturday but he he had this like no creatures care deck and it like it was so cool like he had these cards like i think it makes it a bit more like exciting which like brings some energy into yeah. what can be a, a stale play environment at times right exactly you know because it's like okay turn one all right, turn one soul ring over there. Turn one Esper Sentinel here. Uh, turn one soul ring into Arcane Signet over there. Like, it, you know, like it, it does yeah. start to feel repetitive. It's, oh, the blue player has seven open mana. I wonder what he has, right? Not that those cards can't be in deck restrictions, right? And that that, that changes anything. But, you know, I, I find that the, the more memorable, unique, diverse the deck can be, like the more you'll remember that and like the more fun that that game at least for me ends up being which i really really enjoy um and so i love that diverseness kind of that you can find quentin yeah and i i mean really let's be honest commander at the end of the day is it's about fun stories it's about yeah. like the, these wacky things that happen that's what you remember and i feel like these decks a lot they create environments for that because it makes any what might be a seemingly ordinary play in one deck yeah. when you restrict yourself on a certain access and you are able to kind of lean into that and figure that out, how to do that. It creates this environment for really memorable situations. Yeah. So an example of this. So last year, Quentin and I went to magic 30, which was a super fun time. Mm -hmm. And one of our favorite content creators is MTG goldfish. And we love Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive. And so we really wanted to find him and get a game in with him. And so mm -hmm. we, were, you know, we waited for a little bit for his first game to finish. And then we were able to jam a game with him. And it was super fun. It was really exciting to be able to do it. But so Jedit had just come out like a month prior to this. And I like immediately had bought him, sleeved him up, built the deck, all of that. Yeah. And for me, um, I was like really, you know, excited. And I was like, I had like Gearhead with me, which was like my, which, you know, it's like my, my forever deck, but Jedit just felt like it was like, oh, I want to show him something like new. And the way that game ended up going, it ended up becoming a 1v1 between Seth and I. And on the turn where he swung all out to kill me, I was able to flash in the most, like, just like the perfect card. It was Wrath, um, Raph Capuchin. Yeah, Raph Capuchin, Ship's Mage, which is like mm -hmm. 
you it lets you cast your guy. historic spells at flash speed which is like so that's what the deck wanted to do and it was like this perfect like hey wrath doesn't you know not like an unpopular card but definitely not like a card you'll see at a lot of tables and it was just like the perfect card he came in flashed in he chump blocked to save me for a turn and then i killed seth on the next turn so it was like this idea of like hey this really unique deck i built of all legends had like the perfect legendary creature answer to get out of that situation and be able to win and so i i love you know that kind of thing you know like that yeah like maybe seth won't always remember that but i know i will and it was like coming from a deck that was like very unique and restricted and you know and and that just means a lot to me so i i i really enjoy things like that yeah i love that it's it's true it just it creates memories and that's what commander's about at the end of the day the the last thing that we were thinking about when it comes to restrictions is it also can help regulate the flow of new cards into a deck right um we all are familiar and aware of the rate that cards are being added to the game mm-hmm. there's a lot of new product coming out and whether that's for good or for ill that it does put a lot of pressure on people that want to keep their decks updated to constantly be adding new things. But when you have a really strict restriction placed on yourself, it really narrows down what actually (laughs) can go into this deck. Because I mean, again, we're going back to the ones we're going to cite these a lot, but Karavec doesn't really get a lot of new toys because it has to be a very specific card to actually fit it. It needs to be somewhat burn related, not attached to a creature that is in these specific colors, right? So like you you just continue to put yourself more and more narrow. Right. And Karavec, it makes it really easy when scanning through cards to be like, hey, Karavec doesn't, I don't need to look at any of these creatures. Nope. Frankly, like I, I can, I only need to look outside of that and it just it it helps like it it just helps you slow the pace of for of feeling the need to add a bunch of new cards to decks all of the time yeah and cuz you know like you said Q like there is so much like product that is getting made right now like there, it feels like there's a set every week sometimes you know um which hey i'm not complaining i'm enjoying it i'm super excited for ixalan um but it mm-hmm. it is nice sometimes to like you know, like, okay, Wilds of Eldraine just came out. Okay, I, I'm going to look through the set, like, through the lenses of my different decks. But, like, when I get to jet it, it's like, okay, was there anything that either cares about legendaries or maybe historics? Or are there, were there any cool legendary creatures in Bant that would add something unique to the deck? And if it kind of doesn't fall into one of those, like, two categories, there's nothing there. And you know what? That's okay. Yeah. Like, the deck doesn't always have to change and evolve every time a new set comes out. <laughs> and so I think that, that it's nice to, you know, be able to like have that restriction. It, it does sometimes make it a little easier to like upgrade the deck or change the deck. Like it doesn't like maybe have to do it as often unless there's like, oh, that. But then when there is that card that comes out and it's like, oh, that's perfect. Right. Like, it feels really good because yeah. it's like, this is what it needs. I, I yeah. like when. Um, March of the Machine came out. Mm-hmm. That's when Battles came out. Yes. Um, and 
battles were the perfect card yeah. for Karavek because it's a spell on one side that can turn into a creature, mm-hmm. which is just, it's perfect. It's sl- it, it fits this niche that Karavek wants. And Karavek actually has a really easy time dealing with battles because yeah. he can deal his damage directly to the battle. Mm-hmm. And so it, that was one of those things when those came out, it was like, all right, let's slam some of these in Karavek. I have, I only have two right now because they're, there's just not a ton within red and black that quite fit the theme even because like they yeah. kind of need to be burn related. Um, but it did feel so good because it was like it just felt like it justified the theme and be like, look, it's finding ways to slam creatures into a deck that doesn't have creatures into it in a unique way. And so it feels extra good when you find the right piece under your restriction. Yeah, absolutely. So Q, let's maybe let's let's go through some of like like what are some of the different ways that you can restrict your deck, right? Like let's say it's like, hey, I want to like hey, I've had this like deck idea for a really long time. And maybe there's a couple different ways that you could look to, you know, add a restriction to it to make it a little more unique, a little more fun, a little different, right? What are some yeah. of the different ways that, you know, and some of these are from like examples of people we know or things we've done ourselves. And some are just some that we kind of like thought about as well. But what's yeah. like this first like idea or like um, of like a ways to restrict your deck? Yeah, it's there's there's a couple that we're going to go through. And I think one thing to highlight is deck restrictions really, to me, help give life to a commander that you're really interested in, but just haven't quite found the right home for it. Uh, because I feel like that happens to me a lot as I'm like, oh, this commander seems interesting. And you go to build it and like the build path just feels a little bit linear or not super exciting. These restrictions help give some life to that and make it feel like, oh, wow, now this is potentially really exciting. And the first kind of restriction that we've identified is, I guess, classifying it from a high level as card type restrictions. Yeah. So, and that can take on a variety of forms, Mm -hmm. but restricting by the type of card you use. So again, going back to Karavek, no creatures in the deck. I'm opting out of the use of any creatures within, within my deck. Another thing that we've seen as com I don't I, I'm not gonna call it common because I don't feel like it's actually common, but one that we have seen flowing around there is mana value restrictions. Yeah. So setting yourself to say, hey, I can only use this mana value. I know Jim over the Spike Feeders has a one CMC deck. Yeah. Every spell in his deck costs one. Yeah. Outside of his commander, which is Torawaki. Right. But yes. Uh, and then Tomer is famous for six drop tribal, yep. which I guess the name might now be six drop typo. I don't know, yeah. but um, <laughs> six mana value typo. <laughs> yeah, they keep they keep changing it. Um, yeah, uh, but that's that's another way to restrict it is is say, hey, we can only use this specific number, which mm-hmm. is kind of fun. And other ones that you could use is maybe more of like a Vorthos approach to say, hey, I'm only going to use cards from a certain plane or yeah. a certain character or something like that. Yeah. Like I, I know, like I've seen some people that will be like, okay, I'm going to build like a, like an all Chandra deck, right? Where it's like, hey, not just like 
the creatures and the planeswalkers, but like Chandra has to be in the art. She has to be in the flavor text. Like something about Chandra has to be somewhere on the card. Or it's like related to Chandra. Like Jaya was yes. was like the mentor of Chandra. So like finds like slam some Jaya stuff in the deck. Right. Um, and I like how you said, like, you know, like the like the plane could be the restriction, right? Like I, I know that like some like right now with like Lord of the Rings having gotten printed and everything. A lot of people really like the idea of like building a Lord of the Rings commander, but only playing Lord of the Rings cards in that deck. Like I know Jake has a Sauron deck that he's only playing Lord of the Rings cards in there because he doesn't want to like break too far out of the flavor of that. And like, that's really like important to him. Um, He and I talked about that deck last week on our pod. Um, And I know like that is like something that he's really enjoyed in having that restriction and just playing those Lord of the Rings cards. So, uh, you know, which I think is such a a really great take for universes beyond. Like there's just something special about everything being inside that deck being within the universe. Right. I think as a person who is a self-proclaimed Vorthos, like I love that side of the game part. It's part of why I don't play universes beyond cards Mm -hmm. in my deck is because there is this cohesive feeling to wanting to play things that are in magic in magic pieces. But if I were to build a Lord of the Rings deck, I that's exactly what I would want to do is say, look, I want to play this only in the world of Lord of the Rings. What would this look like? I just think there's I think that's a really fun way to approach the universes beyond and giving like treating it with the respect and the care that I feel like the designers put into it is holding it within the world that it's designed in you know yeah for sure um i i think another like we mentioned like obviously companions have their already like own built-in restriction but like i know i've looked to build a uh, a dina hair uh deck in jeskai and i i've looked at like using her partnered with like zerda to where like okay everything has to have like an activated ability right so like sometimes there's things on the card where you might be looking for something um, that needs to like be like in the ability or, you know, kind of like with your creature list deck, there also could be some where it's like, okay, like everything has to be an artifact. So mm-hmm. I can play creatures, but they all also have to be artifacts and I can play. I think there are a couple, is there, do artifact enchantments exist? Uh, Yes. I think Urza Saga is no Urza Saga That's isn't an artifact itself. Land, yeah. I don't. Sorry, this not to get this off topic, but I was like, I don't know if there's uh, like. Yes, there is all the uh, all the the Theros oh, god yes. weapons. You're right. Yes. So like that's yeah. like another like perfect example, right? Where it's like, okay, I am going to build only artifacts, and maybe you need one or two of those enchantments to like th- really help your deck work um but like you know like things like that can can make it really fun because then like you have that thought experiment like oh is there an artifact enchantment that can really make this work right Um, if anybody if anybody out there is interested in trying this and can figure out how to make a lands only deck please let me know because i have been stewing on this one for a little while is the idea of playing only land in a deck really relies have mdscs because yeah. those are technically lands that can do other <laughs> things but i had a jorael voice of zalfir deck that was like mostly lands but i had to play some non-lands the thing that i get the one of the pieces that i i eased up on was 
um some of the the Ixalan flip lands that were like spells that flip over and transform into a land. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the deck is just lands. I I think it's objectively bad, but if anyone has ways to make it work, I I welcome the advice. It's been a, that one's been on the back of my mind for a while. Yeah, I, I had thought when you were talking. Borborygmos and Fibblefit from March of the Machines could be like a really interesting mm. kind of do the same thing. I the only hard part is that they only deal damage to target creature. I wish they could just deal damage to any target because then if you did Try that, throw in lands, you people. just you just play a bunch of land and you just you know doesn't doesn't the land, land, doesn't land, one land. of the other Borborygmoses fling lands that like to bolt people? I think so. I, I think. Rule one does yeah because there's there's been two iterations of Borbo before this yes um and Borborygmos enraged which yeah he can fling a land to a person one. yep which can just deal it directly to a player so I wish that Borborygmos and Fibblethip did it to to players not just creatures but that would just yeah. be a fun way to to maybe look at that yeah so outside of card type restrictions or these more like card focus restrictions what other ways what other restrictions can we implement in the brew process yeah i think one of the other really big ones can be the colors you choose to play right like really leaning into kind of the, like the original idea of commander and being that color restricted right but the way that i look at this is by doing things that are maybe outside of like the colors normal wheelhouse right mm-hmm. so typically if i were to ask you hey q what's the best color combination for enchantress you would say it's green white it's green white right Selesnia, no question so okay how could i build enchantress in not green white right now there's lots of other color options to do that right you have nine other colors you could choose to do you know with one of those colors and then a different color or you just say nope i'm going blue black or red blue enchantments right Um, to me that is one of my like when i'm brewing ideas now i don't build a ton of decks just because we play often but not so often that i have 20 decks i only have four or five but every time i brew it's usually doing something like this where it's i like to try to find an interesting way to build the deck in not the colors it's necessarily supposed to be in or just yeah in adding a different color or dropping a certain color. I think doing just messing with like the colors really makes it fun and challenging to find a commander that can do the thing you're looking for. Yeah, I I'm all on board with that. You know me. That's one of my favorite things as well. It's it's the entire genesis of I there's a, a series that I write over on Substack called Mind Mind Your Angles, mm-hmm. which is all about it was originally inspired by lego and its ability to turn very ordinary shapes into non-traditional shapes right so uh specifically turning like little squares into really art like architectural triangles and things like that which is where this like this idea of minding your angles thinking about things in new perspectives but this whole article series is all about using that it's all about pushing things in other colors i've done I've written about Boros Landfall. I've written about Selesnia Aristocrats, Demir plus one plus one counters. Like 
this kind of thing I think is super, super fun and kind of inspired by magic in planar chaos as a set at large yep. was this whole set about swapping colors and how can we do that in commander? I think it's a really, really fun restriction to put on yourself. Yeah. So like right now I have, which I've talked about this deck before, but I have a King Makar, the gold curse deck, which is very focused on artifacts and kind mm-hmm. of like winning through like a little bit of like artifact burn and playing some vehicles and things, which is a little untraditional for black. But I also have through, we've mentioned this before, but our pre-con league, I have a Rashmi and Ragavan deck, which is also kind of an artifact tokens style mm-hmm. deck, which is in teamer. And so right now what I've really been trying to figure out is, okay, I don't really want two artifact token decks. Like that just is, I don't need two of them. Yeah, so I've been trying to like really look into like the different colors and see like, okay, what do I love from like each of these decks? And is there a way to, you know, could there be a perfect color combination of kind of combining these two ideas um, and sacrificing some things in one color to get other things in the other? And like right now, one of the ideas I've been having, which I don't think I've talked to you about this yet, Q, but I've been looking at Eloise in Demir. Um, mm. Do you know what's uh, it's Eloise um, Nefalia Sleuth. Mm-hmm. So she's really cool. And she says, whenever another creature you control dies, you investigate. But then whenever you sacrifice a token, you get to surveil one. And a lot of like both of these style decks that I have are very like sacrifice token, like heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been like looking at that and saying, okay, maybe I take like the blue from here and the black from here and find a way to like mesh those together to be the thing I want. Even though Demir isn't known for like artifact tokens, like that would right. be a very cool, interesting way to like build the deck and to play it out. Yeah, no, that's it. The, these kind of things just get me excited because it, it, yeah. it forces you to think about things in new ways and just forcing yourself into new colors it's fun. Like Logan said, it also pays homage to the original restriction of commander, mm. but because there's just such a density of cards that can do, you know, that can service a color, forcing yourself in a new non-traditional colors is, is a lot of fun and highly, highly recommend trying that out for yourself and grabbing maybe even your favorite archetype, right? Like you, you it could be one that you have multiple decks of, or your favorite deck is a, a certain style try building that in a new color and just see what happens. Cause it forces you to think about it in new ways, try new things. I think it's really, really fun. Yeah. So then what's running us out here. What's the last type of restriction. I feel like that you could put on yourself when building, building and playing a deck. Yeah. So the other way that we can kind of thought about and talked about was setting some sort of rules, stipulation or restriction on yourself for the game when you're playing. So this isn't maybe necessarily like, like it will probably affect how do you, how you build the deck, but it'll definitely affect how you play at the table with your opponents and everything. Yeah. So an example of this that like Quentin, you had mentioned was, oh, is, you know, so I can't, you know, I can't do X until I do Y. So for example, it might be, Hey, I can't attack willingly, right? It might be this idea of, I need to be goaded. You know, I have to, even if it's forcing my own creatures to attack, I have to force them to attack. I can't just say, hey, I want to attack you. It might be, nope, I have to force it into a combat. I have to 
donate it right with like a John Arenicus maybe where it's like I'm donating my creature to my opponent so that they can attack with it but I'm never attacking willingly myself it's it's being forced into it and maybe there's even a Pramacon side of this where it has to go a certain direction or something like that right um yeah what's another example that we had thought of yeah one and now I want to say We've not done this before. This is one of the restrictions that I haven't done, and I, I'm curious to explore it more. Yeah. But another one that I thought about was something around the the monarchy and only behaving or only doing certain things when you control the monarchy. Because I think there's this, this kind of real-world aspect to you're only going to go to combat and attack into something if you hold the power. Like there's this political dynamic that exists there. So it's maybe it's, Hey, I only attack when I have the monarchy or I, I, I will only cast additional spells when I hold the monarchy or something like that and find yeah. ways to like utilize the monarchy and hold that. So you can continue your game plan. And if you lose that your entire game plan, which is just to regaining that. So you can continue your game plan forward. Right. Um, I think there's just like an, an interesting little, real world political dynamic to that um as an yeah it's another one that i think could be could pose some interesting interesting play patterns yeah i remember i was listening to one of the mtg goldfish podcasts and i think it was tomer was talking about a deck that he ran into while he was at vegas but he was talking about there was this guy that had a deck where before he would do anything he would ask a player at the table a certain question and if they answered yes then it was, okay, I'm going to do this thing and it's going to affect you. But if they would answer no, then he would go to the next player and ask a different question. And he would basically ask these questions until he got a yes answer that he was looking for. And then that now that yes could punish or it could reward that person or whatever. But it was like a very interesting idea of like just how he played the game was this very like very political, very like questiony like not group hug not group slug but kind of somewhere in between maybe so are you I, sure he wasn't playing with the riddler <laughs> it sounds like he just recruited he just played a game of commander against the riddler from batman <laughs> it that very well could have been what it was um but i do think that there could be some like there like i could see a world in like where you maybe are building a deck intentionally to be very political. And it's like, everything I do is trying to make a deal with somebody. And I yeah. will only like do things to like, I'm only going to do something until I've agreed with somebody to like make a deal. And it's like, all right, here's what I get. Here's what you get. And here's the card. And like, that would be an interesting way to like build and play is to just be like ultra lean into those politics. So I definitely think there could be some interesting ways to like play the deck that would affect how you build it as well. Yeah, there there really is. I mean, restrictions, the restrictions you can place on yourself in the brewing process are are truly I'm not going to say infinite, but are just so vast. There's so many things yes. that you could do to put a restriction on yourself. And I I think as we come to a close, our our encouragement is to give that a try. Like think about ways that you can do this in in your own style, in your own approach because it really pays homage to what the origins of commander are which is play within confines cuz those confines i mean it is an adage that is thrown around all the time 
But restrictions do truly breed creativity. They force you to think about things in new ways, try different things as a little like out here. It forces you to think out of the box. Like it pushes you to to play in ways that you wouldn't traditionally. And that's really what we are all about here. That is our philosophy is to think and play out of the box and putting yourself in a box per se, (laughs) putting your four walls around you that keep you confined forces you to get creative with the resources that you have. And so it opens the box for you by getting inside to then get out. (laughs) This metaphor really is not strong. (laughs) We are, we are, we are inside and outside of the box simultaneously. It's like the opposite of Schrodinger's cat. It is, it is, it is existing in both in and outside the box, but really, truly, I, I, I've had more fun playing with restrictions than I ever have before in Commander. And it gets me excited and gets me giddy to play those decks when they get to do their thing. Because something as simple as, like, I think about Karavek. And one of these days, I know Karavek is going to win by animating, like, two or three of his lands and swinging in for lethal. And that will be incredible because in the deck with no creatures, winning with combat damage is just such a funny thing. And so it just creates these really memorable moments. And so... That's our call out to all of you is just give it a shot. And when you do send us what you put together, we'd love to see. I love looking at wacky zany lists and this is the kind of the pinnacle of wacky zany lists. So please send them over to us. We're on Twitter X. What it's still, it's still weird, but out of the box MTG is our handle over there. You can, all of the sub stack is open for comments and op and there's chat functions in there that you can chat with us there we'd love to hear your decks and just yeah see what wacky restrictions you come up with yeah um i i i echo everything you said you know uh, do kind of preparing for this podcast like i mentioned at the beginning has really made me consider like could i move jedit from just playing only legendary creatures to only playing legendaries at all now the legendary land base might get a little tough <laughs> so maybe i can't well, legends plus basics they're like yeah. basics is like the uh the exception one can make for things yeah but i will be like but that is like something i'm excited to like go and look into and to see if there's a way that okay could there be a version of this deck where yeah maybe i end up having to play like 50 legendary creatures and only like you know 10 or 12 just legendary enchantments artifacts sorceries mm-hmm. right but that idea is really exciting to me. And so I'm really excited to like look into that and see if there's a way, like a cool build to see if I can make that happen, right? And hey, now yeah. I don't have Arcane Signet and three visits, but okay, I gotta add, I gotta find two other legendary creatures that ramp in some sort of way and add those into my deck. So, you know, these restrictions really do get you out of your comfort zone and looking at new cards, new builds, and just, you know, exciting, you know, it brings that energy, that excitement that we talked about that we really love bringing to a game. And that's, again, that's, that's the genesis of who we are is we're trying to get people to think about the the game in new ways and breathe some new life into commander. So go out, give it a try, send us what you find. And yeah, restrictions really do breed creativity. Want to say thank you all for joining us tonight. This is a fun cast, Logan. Really, especially love that little Ahsoka uh, <laughs> twist we did. We'll have to do that some more of that in the future. But oh, definitely appreciate all of you listening out there. And again, connect with us on the various platforms. And we will see you in two weeks' time. 